All right, well, we're launching a brand new series this morning, and I've got to go fast. So hold on. All right, we've got to go fast this morning. Uh, if you're looking at my T-shirt, it does say no to pot. That's what it says. It's a little warm, so you're welcome for that one. All right. Um, <laughs> it was funny. I was like, at what point, cause I was like, at what point should I take that sweatshirt off? And I thought, the pastoral prayer moment may not be the appropriate time to walk out for the first time and you to get to see the glory of this shirt. So there you go, which a board member at my last church got for me, so I'm consistent. You can say that at least, all right? So we're launching a new series today called Live Curiously. If you're a guest this morning, all of our talks kind of come in groups, segments, and this is the first week of a series. So if this is your first time here, it's great. Uh, to, it's a great Sunday to be here as we launch into this new topic. Let me ask this question. How many of you have ever gone to the movies? Raise your hand up nice and high. You've gone to the movies or you've rented a, well, not rented a movie, but you've gone to a movie. Raise your hand up nice and high. Again, I wanna know how many of you are going to purgatory. Yeah. All right. So good. Well, I'll see you there. Um, but movies come with what we call previews, right? How many of you like the previews? Raise your hand. Anybody like the previews? Yeah, some of us do. Some of us are just like, can I get there when the 40 minutes of previews are over with, right? But previews are fascinating because some previews are really great. Like you watch the preview for the movie and in 45 seconds, you know what it's about. You know who the major uh, characters are. You know the major plot and you are drawn in. You're curious about it. Like you want to see it. But then some of us have had the opportunity to see a preview that is the most confusing 45 seconds of your life. That like at the end of the preview, you're thinking to yourself, what the heck was that all about? Maybe even harsher language, you know, now because you're at a theater, right? Like you think to yourself, I, I am now dumber for having watched that 45 seconds. I have no idea what that movie's about. In fact, I would have known more about it had I not watched the preview, right? So you see the preview and what? You're confused. You're almost pushed away from it. You're like, I was going to see it, but now I'm not going to see it. And it's very frustrating to like sit there and not know what that is. And so confusion is this like idea of a lack of clarity, right? Lack of clearness, a lack of distinction. Maybe you watch a movie like, oh, it's just like every other movie. Mission Impossible 1 through 12, right? Oh, same thing, right? They just be confusing. Like, why is that? But the really great preview, I would say, is, is something that evokes curiosity in us. So you could say it's a curious preview, right? It, it brings us to a point of interest that arouses speculation inside of us. We want to see it. We're drawn into it. Maybe it's unusual or different. Now, here's the thing. I think that oftentimes you and I especially those of us that are, we would maybe call ourselves church people, right? This is a part of our regular life. We're people of faith. So I think that churches and church people are oftentimes a preview, right? We're like, this, this experience here is kind of like a preview for what God is all about. What a life lived in the pleasure of God, the creator of the world, the universe, what that's like. Your life, in many ways, is a preview of what it means to live in hope and grace, to live in righteousness. Now, again, when I use the word righteousness, please don't think moral righteousness. Think righteousness in terms of justice, in terms of equity, in terms of inclusion, right? That, that we're previews of that. And here's the truth of it, though, to the outsider, the average church person, the average church is often more confusing than curious. Like oftentimes when people encounter a person that is a person of faith or they go to church, there's more confusion that that life evokes than curiosity. And this series is about how can we flip that switch? 
How can we become and live into, I think, something that's a part of our DNA, but how can we be even more committed to being a curious church and curious people that draw people in? And I want to make a distinction between two words, because to be uh, curious and, uh, and to not be confusing doesn't mean that you have to know everything, right? Sometimes people think that, oh, well, it's confusing because we don't know everything. We don't have answers to everything. There is a difference between confusion and mystery. And I'm a person who has come to a place in my life of faith that fully embraces mystery, that I, I love and I think mystery is something that draws us in where we don't have to have answers. We don't have to live in doctrinal certainty. We don't have to say, oh, this is the way it has to work. But we have space for mystery. And that, I think, is actually very appealing. I think that draws us in. So I just want to say that when we say, oh, confusion, that doesn't mean, well, we have to have every, answer, every question answered perfectly. Like, here's our list of responses. We're going to train you up and we're going to send you door to door so you can explode with evangelism. Anybody around during those days? Did, seriously, who took evangelism explosion in the room? Anybody? Oh, that's so good. So good. Time and season for everything. Time and season for everything, right? So here's the scoop. That's what we want to talk about. Now, our anchor verse for this series really helps us launch into this idea of what does it mean to be curious. Now, I call it an anchor verse because it's what the whole thing is about, that we really are spending the next four to five weeks leading up to Easter unpacking what this one verse would have for our lives, Right? And so there's this letter that we have in the Bible. If you're new to Bible study, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, if it if it's kind of freaks you out a little bit, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, if you've ever been told, if you're like new to this whole church thing and somebody told you that the Bible's super easy, no problems whatsoever, and you read it and were like, they lied to me. You're right. They did lie to you. The Bible is extraordinarily complex. It is extraordinarily diverse. It is an ancient document written over thousands of years, over a thousand years ago. 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago. So it's okay for the Bible to have its space of difficulty. So everybody can just take a nice deep breath and breathe out. Because here's the truth. I'm not here to help you follow the Bible. I'm here to help you follow Jesus. And that is not nearly as confusing or difficult, right? It's challenging, but that's where I think scripture finds its place. It can inform some of our understandings of that, all right? And so everybody can relax a little bit. You don't have to memorize the whole Bible. It's actually nowhere in the Bible does it say memorize the Bible. You know, Jesus never said one thing about the Bible. Isn't that fascinating? As we know it, never said one thing about it. He didn't say, hey, go wait for me, and I'm going to give you a document with 66 books in it, and it will guide you for the rest of your life. You know, Jesus never said that. Isn't that crazy to think about? Some of you do not know what to do with those last two sentences. Like you're seriously going, I think there's another church in town that I might want to go to. But you can't, you can't refute what I said. Like Jesus never said, go wait and I will send my holy Bible and it will guide you in every path that you, it's not in there, right? That doesn't mean it's not a wonderful thing, but I just bring it in a perspective, all right? So Peter uh, was one of Jesus's disciples. Uh, probably he's oftentimes called Jesus's favorite. I don't know that that's a great way to think about it, but he was one that Jesus entrusted a lot into, a lot of leadership into, a lot of time. He was kind of a loose cannon. And we have a couple of letters that have landed in this collection of works called the Bible that are written in Peter's name. We're not quite sure if Peter wrote them or if maybe a school, a tradition of following Jesus that emerged under Peter wrote it, but I don't think it really matters in the long run. Uh, but in this letter that we have in Peter's name, we have this one little verse, and it says this, you are a chosen people, you are a royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, 
you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So when Peter, or whomever is writing this in Peter's name, when they're writing this down, I have to believe that they are like leaning into a tradition that was a part of Peter's life growing up, because Peter was Jewish. And at this point in time, when this letter is written, at least when the content that was going to shape this letter was coming into being, like this idea of Christianity did not exist. There was no such thing as Christianity. Again, here's one of the little shocking. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. That's just all we knew to do with it at the time. Right? And so, so Peter's like, he's incorporating this whole way of following Jesus into his life as a Jew. And I have to believe that he's hearkening back to, and he's remembering what he was taught, that Moses taught the people of Israel in a book in the Old Testament. In Exodus, as God is forming the, the Jewish identity, this is what Moses says. He says, this is what God says, that you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Right? This idea of a chosen people was not a new concept. This idea of a kingdom of priests was not a new concept. The truth is, the plan of God for humanity has always needed a people of God. And that people of God started with a guy named Abraham. And Abraham has given this promise that I will bless you so that you could be a blessing and that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And God calls out this very small, very obscure group of people ethnically known as Jewish people. And he says, you're going to be my special possession. Now, chosenness, right? The chosen, have you ever heard that phrase, the chosen people of God when referring to the Jewish nation? Anybody ever heard that? Raise your hand on my side, the chosen people of God. How many have ever heard this phrase? Some of you church people, really good, really, really good church people. Not like me. You're a good church person. You've heard the term elect, like the elect, God's elect. Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Predestination. That's a big one. That'll earn me a bonus right there for using that word in church, right? So we have this language of chosenness, right? But here's what I want to just hone in on this. And if we, if we look at it from a Jewish perspective, it will shift the way some of us think of that. Chosenness refers to a special purpose, not a special value. And, and that is extraordinarily important for us in this room, for many of us who are in this, this game of Christianity, right? This life of faith that there is a chosen nature to it. And we see that from the beginning with God, uh, God's election of Israel, with the blessing to Abraham, to all nations, to the inclusion of other nations into that family, into that Jewish, so that Jewishness was less about ethnicity, right? And was more about acceptance of this willingness to be chosen for a special purpose. There was a, a, the leader of the Jewish community in Egypt in the 12th century, uh, he, he said this about this idea of a priesthood, the royal priesthood, which was such a huge concept within Judaism. He says, the priests of any congregation is its leaders, its most honored individual, and the congregation's role model through whom they learn to follow on the right path. And it says this, says, the calling on Israel to be a kingdom of priests, it was as if God was saying to them, become leaders of the world through keeping my Torah. The word Torah would be law, the way of Judaism, right? So that your relationship to humanity becomes that of a priest to his congregation so that the world follows in your path and imitates your deeds and walks in your ways. So this idea of being a kingdom of priests was to say, not that you were any better than the rest of humanity, the chosenness of Israel. Israel was to function in this way of offering 
a light. Here's a way of living. Within the Jewish concept, within the Hebrew scriptures, we find over and over again the prophet saying that the righteous of every nation have a share in the kingdom. Right? There was never this idea that the, that the Jewish people were only the ones that were going to have any kind of relationship to God, but that God had chosen the, is, the, the nation of Israel to be a pathway for people to see, a light to the world. And what happens is when Jesus shows up on the scene through his death and his resurrection and this gift of the Holy Spirit, there's an invitation that goes out, just like the promise to Abraham that says it'll be for all nations. There's an invitation that goes out that says, guess what? This nation that I'm using is no longer ethnic. It's bigger. And the nation expands. And the nation becomes borderless. And a nation without borders is then born in this book called Acts, which is kind of the Acts of the Apostles. It tells the story of the emergence of the people of God, as we would call the Christian movement or Jewish folks that were beginning to follow the way of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2, we have this great story that we call the Day of Pentecost. And after Jesus had risen from the grave, he tells his followers, before you leave Jerusalem, I need you to stay because there's a gift that God is going to pour out on you. And God's going to pour out this gift of the Holy Spirit. And everybody was kind of like, I don't really know what to think of this, right? They didn't know what happened. They had heard of people being filled with the Spirit, and it kind of, but it was just certain people. But, but Jesus says, I've got to go, because when I go, there's going to be this way of God relating and working in the world available for everybody, and I'm going to pour my Spirit out. So they all gathered in this, it was called, the, it was an upper room, it was an upstairs. They gathered on the second floor. <laughs> we love that upper room language, but it was just like the second floor of a building they rented out. You know, maybe a hundred or so folks that had gathered, that heard that Jesus said to wait, and this was part, and I bet you that they had come before that. There were other days where they were waiting and nothing happened. But they're up there, and on the day of Pentecost, all of a sudden, the place starts to shake. Big wind blows through the room. Like, they see things in the air that look like tongues of fire, like little flames of fire floating around above everybody's head. And people started speaking in languages they had never learned. They just start speaking in different languages. And what happens is the people outside kind of recognize the commotion, and they hear these people speaking in a language that they can understand. And the scripture says when they heard the loud noise, they ran. Everybody come, came running over. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by these believers that were hanging out in the separate room. They couldn't believe it. They were completely amazed. They said, how can this be? These people are all from Galilee. They're all from this one space. And we hear all these people speaking in our own languages. Here's the trick. About the wonderful things of God. And then it says they stood there amazed and perplexed. What a great definition of curiosity, amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? See, the reality is that people ran towards the upper room because they were filled with curiosity. Now, I know some of you are sitting there and some of the things that I've said today are really good and you've actually been tweeting them. <laughs> and that's great. And some of you, you're tweeting them, but you're tweeting them with a special emoji. It's the confused face emoji. <laughs> And you're thinking to yourself, is there a point to all of this madness? Why am I here? The coffee really isn't good enough to deal with it. Okay, so here's the point, right? Here's what I'm saying to you. God's people become curious when we begin, when they begin to proclaim the goodness of God. Remember what Peter said, that you're a holy priesthood, you're this nation of priests, so that you can proclaim the goodness of God when they do it in a language that people understand. And you know what I think the language people understand today is? Hope. When the people of God start to speak the language of hope, people will come running. 
And when a church begins to speak the language of hope, people will come running. What is this? We have spoken the language of doctrine. We've spoken the language of this is what morality is. We've spoken the language of judgment. But when we start to speak the language of hope, that there's a God beyond all of our understandings who meets us right where we are, who loves us universally, all of a sudden people start to experience this thing called hope. Hope is this internal experience It's the sprout of a a little plant in a desert of our lives, some area where it just feels like there is no way out, there is no answer. And oftentimes it's unexplainable, this sense that it's gonna be okay. And that sense starts to overwhelm our feelings of defeat, of doubt, of fear. Here's what I would say to us today. You and I, crossroads, we have been chosen to be an orange dot of hope. We've been chosen, you've been chosen to be an orange dot of hope, to be a space where people can enter in and experience hope regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what it is, that our church can be a place that brings hope into the darkest spaces. I mean, we say it right out there on the, in the atrium when you walk in as big as day, hope is here. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is it really? And for who? And in what measure? Hope is here. Because here's what I know about hope. Hope demands generosity. Cannot exist without a generous spirit. It's impossible. It requires generosity. To bring hope to someone demands generosity. That hope requires proximity to pain. That if we're actually gonna bring hope, we have to get close to the darkness. If we want to actually be in a space to bring light into people's darkness, We actually have to get into the darkness, the dark spaces, the spaces of despair, and it's not fun to sit close to pain. But you cannot bring hope without getting proximate. And here's what I know for churches. A church that wants to offer hope is about offering an invitation into relationship, not an imposition of religion. See, for so long, church has been this place where we impose upon people our religious structures and systems. This is the way we sing. This is the things we believe. One of my favorite questions that I get asked is, what does your church believe about X, Y, and Z? You know what my answer is? I have no idea. There's thousands of people that go to church there. How would I know what they believe, everybody believes about this thing or that thing? But we all, what does the church believe? You know who asks those kinds of questions? Church people. You know who never asks a question about what a church believes? Somebody who doesn't know Jesus because they don't care. They want to know, how's my marriage going to last? How am I going to get through parenting these three kids that are all under the age of three? How how am I going to learn to to feel my place when I don't even know who I am or what my gender is? Right? They don't care what you believe about when Jesus is coming back. They don't care what you believe about communion. It doesn't matter. We've, We've orchestrated ourselves in such a way that we just want to figure out how can we make certain church people happy so that they come. But it's a total flip of a switch when you really start thinking about Jesus and his ministry and what he cared about. And that's what it means to bring hope. But here's what I know, right? Hope has to be found here, but it also has to be found there. If hope is just here in this building, what what impact could we possibly have? But it has to go out. But it does start here. I don't get it. So we're going to have two pictures for you. And these pictures, I hope you'll start to see more and more around here, right? And so this first picture, if you'll look and you'll see all these little orange dots 
All these little orange dots are in the corner, right? You see them right there? All the little orange dots. All these little gray dots represent people. They represent places like our schools, right? You could think of the big dots as organizations. Think of the little dots as people, neighborhoods, right? And so what happens is we gather, right, in this little corner. This is the church. This is great. These are the people of God. We gather together in this space. But how, what possible impact are we having, like, way over there? But here's what's so powerful. When you take those people and you scatter them amongst the other dots, look at the impact that you have. Same amount of dots, same amount of people that recognize I have to take hope there. I have to be a place where hope is. Personally, it can't just be when I go to church. I have to be a pathway to peace. Wherever I am, wherever I go, that's what it means to be an ambassador of the gospel doesn't mean, oh, I know all, I know how it all works. I can walk you through the Romans road. I can tell you the five, how many spiritual laws are there? I don't have any idea. There are four, four. Thank you, Katie. It wasn't part of my education. There's four spiritual laws. It's good to know. Again, not that anybody cares outside the church, (laughs) right? But boy, if we can get this, you become a trailhead to the pathway of peace because that's what hope is. Hope is the beginning to peace with God, to peace in our world. And when I say peace, if you've been around, you know, I don't mean like just lack of conflict. I mean wholeness, justice, equity, inclusion. That's what hope provides the spark. It's the trailhead to a path of peace with one another, with God, with ourselves, all these things. And so the big invitation today, what is God inviting you into? Number one, I believe God is inviting every one of us in here to be an orange dot of hope. And so here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, we're going to sing this great song. And when we sing that song, I'm inviting everybody in the place to answer and to say, yes, I want to be a part of this movement. I want to be a part of the chosen ones of God. Not because I have any greater value, but because I've heard that call. And I want to be like leaven in the bread. It only takes a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven to actually make the whole thing rise. Holds it all together. So here's what we're going to do. During this song, we have orange stickers. I can't bend down. I know, you know what? I lifted weights. I know it's hard to imagine I haven't lifted many weights, but I really haven't. I start, okay, so here's the deal. So we've got these stickers up here that say hope is here. And as a symbol of us getting it, I want to invite you to come up and take your sticker and put it on. And just physically say, no, hope is here. And wherever you go, live that out. Hope is here. I want to get like stickers on cars that say hope is here. I want to get step stake signs for our homes that say hope is here. So our neighbors know this is a place to come when there's an issue. When there's something that you need to talk about, I'm a safe place. At work, little bobbleheads that are all big orange dots that just say hope is here. (laughs) Because that's what it's about. What else might God be inviting you into today to to be that orange dot? Maybe just something simple like, I want to be the orange dot, but I also want to this week figure out some way that I could be generous towards someone in in some measure, some simple way. Maybe you're in here today and you have a space of hopelessness. And maybe this morning you just need to say, I got to talk to a care minister about this area. You can check that box on your connect card and our care ministry, they'll follow up with you. Make sure you can connect with someone. So do me a favor, stand on up as we sing this song. 
this song starts off with, I could just stay here. I could just stay in the corner, right? In the gathered church, because it feels so good. The goosebumps and the band is here. And the, there's a soundtrack to our lives when we're at church, right? I, I don't have people underscoring me in staff meeting, by the way. I have an underscore right here, right? I could just stay here. I could just be here. It's great. But this song's, but you've called me higher. You've called me deeper. And I'll go wherever you lead me. I'll go be that orange dot of hope wherever you lead me. And then it finishes with this. Remember, you're a special possession, chosen, right? And I will be yours. I will be yours all my life. And I love this. So let your mercy light the path. Let the mercy of God light the path before me. Let's sing this. Come get your sticker. Put it on. And let's begin to live out this principle that hope is here, but it's also there.